Let's pray before we begin. Lord, please let us understand your word and put it in our hearts. May it shape our lives to be more like your Son. In Jesus' name we ask, Amen. Years ago, someone did me an amazing favor in the early days of my ministry. When they handed me a little book, it was not a beautiful book. It was not a hardbound book. It was simply a small paperback book. That little book has two titles. I think when I got it, it was called The Preacher and Prayer. For the Cummins, I don't know what that's what, what it's called or not, The Preacher and Prayer. Our, um, let's see, E.M. Bounds wrote it. And now I think it may be called Power Through Prayer. I don't recall the hand that gave me that book, nor the face that prompted the hand. It may have been a little boy. It may have been a preacher friend more experienced than I. It may have been some older preacher warning a young preacher to get acquainted with what prayer was all about. I'm not sure who gave it. I'm not sure where I was when I got it. I'm not sure if it was a new book or a used book. But all I know, it was a book called The Preacher and Prayer by E. M. Bounds. That book, along with How to Pray by R. A. Torrey, Jesus is Coming by W. E. B., perhaps did more to mold my ministry than any other books, in the early days especially. I read the story of the prayer lives of great men. I couldn't believe what I read. I was only 21 years of age, reading a little paperback book that cost a dollar today, maybe a dollar fifty or ninety-five cents, I don't know. I read in that book about a great Christian whose name was Payson. It said that he prayed at the same spot so much that he actually wore grooves in hardwood floor where he knelt to pray every day. I read an entire little chapter in that book about David Brainerd. David Brainerd said, I love to be alone in my cottage where I can spend much time in prayer. I read how that David Brainerd prayed in the snow. Literally prayed himself as it were to death and died at the premature age of 29. I read about Bishop Andrews, who said he prayed, I couldn't believe this, five hours a day. I couldn't believe that. I read Adoniram Judson, the great missionary, who said he prayed seven times a day. He said he got up when the clock struck midnight. And by the way, back in those days, at midnight, folks had been in bed quite a while. He got up when the clock struck midnight and started the first minute of every day in prayer. He got up again at 3 o'clock in the morning and prayed. At 6 o'clock in the morning he prayed. At 9 o'clock he prayed. At noontime he prayed. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon he prayed. At 6 o'clock in the evening he prayed. At 9 o'clock in the evening he prayed. And I was amazed when I read about that busy missionary who said he spent two to three hours every day alone with God.
I was amazed as I continued reading. I'd never heard about this before. I mean, all I'd ever said was, now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and so forth. Oh, I'd said a few prayers, and, and uh, but I'd never heard about anybody praying for three hours, or even an hour, or even 30 minutes, or even 15 minutes. I read in that book a story about, about Marcus de Renti, who told his servant one day he wanted to pray for 30 minutes, and said, would you come please and arouse me after the 30 minutes is up? Marcus de Renti fell on his face, began to pray. The servant came back to arouse him, and he looked at the face of Marcus de Renti, shining with the presence and glory of God, and he did not have the grace to stop his prayer. He went back and another 30 minutes passed. He came back after an hour and he, he was told to arouse Marcus Derini and he saw his face and he stood, he saw the face as it were of an angel as it, in the presence of God himself and he said, I cannot arouse my master. After an hour and a half he came back and said, Master, Master, it's time for you to make an appointment. You're late. And Marcus Derini, after praying for an hour and a half, stood up and with a glow of heaven on his face said, Oh, that's the shortest 30 minutes I ever spent. I couldn't believe that. I read about John Welch, who sometime would pray eight to ten hours a day, who kept his coat beside his bed all night. And, and if it, when he'd turn over at night, he'd fall out of bed and get his coat, his plaid, and, and pray hour after hour. I read in that book about Bishop Ansberg. It is said that he prayed from four o'clock every morning to six o'clock every morning. I didn't even know in those days there was a four o'clock in the morning. Brother Han used to say, I didn't find out till I was grown that the sun came up gradually. I'd never seen it come up. I read about Rutherford who rose at 3 o'clock in the morning and prayed. And John Fletcher, I couldn't believe this. Instead of John Fletcher praying at the same spot every day. And he prayed so long and so near a certain wall that actually the, 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 the wall became stained with the breath of his prayers. I read about the great men, and this little book was to change my life. I'll never forget how, 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 I, how I read it and how engrossed I was. And I got every book I could get on prayer. But this book, of all the books on prayer, and already tore his book on how to pray, molded my life, especially in the early days of my ministry. There's one thing they all seem to have in common. It seemed like they prayed when it was dark. I took a motto for my ministry. I will walk with men while men are awake. I will walk with God while men are asleep. For it seemed like that all the great men who's, about whose lives they're in, they read about David and Jeremiah. I read about Moses and Elijah and the prayer life of God's men in the Bible. And it seemed like that, that, that God's men in the Bible and the history, they had one great common denominator when it came to prayer. And that was they prayed at night, three o'clock in the morning, from four to six, rising before it was day. It seemed like that these men had a particular place and a particular way where they met God in the nighttime. I did not know it, but my ministry was being molded in those days. And of course, this is Christ-like. For it is said of our Lord. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, it says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. And he withdrew himself. And he withdrew himself. In these busy urban days, in this generation of big cities and multitudes of people, crowded buses and crowded airports and crowded airplanes and crowded shops and crowded highways and crowded sidewalks and crowded amusement parks and where people are coming and going all the time, 
the wise Christian will learn to withdraw himself. While it is yet night, before the sun comes up in the morning, or after the folks have gone to bed at night, in the nighttime, the late hours, the early hours, to withdraw ourselves and be alone with God. Jesus, of course, is the one who set the great example in this matter. And by the way, let me tell you something, folks. You won't make it in these days unless you do this. You just won't make it. I mean, uh, we don't, we don't, we're not like the farmer were with a plow just following a mule all day long when all we have to do is talk to God. No, we have to fight to talk to God. We have to fight to, to break a, a, away for a while and, and break away from the crowd and break away from the urban life and the city life and find a certain place where we can withdraw ourselves and meet God. Uh, Jesus did it. There are a few times in the Bible we have words uh, sort of like this. Words that said that he withdrew himself, or a great while before day he went aside to pray. There are just a few times in the Bible where God pulls back the curtain on the prayer life of Jesus and says, Quick, look in, take a glimpse. Fellows, close the door in the back if you would, please. Take a glimpse of the prayer life of Jesus and the first of those glimpses tells us that he prayed alone a lot in the beginning. Mark 1.35, I read it a few minutes ago. A story about a wonderful day in the life of Christ. Jesus had had perhaps the first big, complete day of preaching after his baptism. He had had a wonderful day. During the daytime hours, the morning hours, the early afternoon, he preached and he taught. And the crowds came to hear him. Can you imagine how exciting it must have been to Christ? He, from eternity, had known he'd come to do this. He had known that someday he would have a ministry of three short years and then die. He had known for these 30 years of working in the carpenter shop in Nazareth that his time would come when he would go to Jordan and get baptized. And after being baptized in Jordan, he then would begin a three-year ministry. He would go all around Palestine and, and taken by those who followed him would soon go all around the world. And now is the first day. I can, can you recall the first sermon you ever preached? Brother Helton, the first time you ever preached a sermon? And the first time the crowd ever sat there and listened? And can you recall the first time somebody walked the aisle? What a delight, what a joy, what a thrill, what an excitement. The very first sermon. And Jesus is preaching his first day. He had taught. He would looked forward to it. Now he's teaching and preaching in, uh, around Galilee and around Capernaum. In the evening time before the dark, before the dark came, in the shadow, shadowy time of the day, the Bible says that they brought the sick. And he healed the sick. And the Bible says all the sick were brought. And Jesus healed the sick. Now the day is over. A wonderful day. You know, sometimes on a Sunday. Um, I, uh, uh, a wonderful Sunday maybe. Unusually good. And uh, I just want to... I just want to talk about it. I wish I, I want to get with the crowd and just talk about all that God did for us on Sunday. And uh, and then sometimes I just want to run and get alone and say, Dear God, it was wonderful. Oh, God, you met with us, and thank you for meeting with us again. And uh, But our Lord, the day is over, and the busy day is over, and people go to their homes, and Jesus goes to sleep just for a while. He awakens early before it is dark. He quietly steals away. He tiptoes out into the street where just a few hours ago throngs had crowded to hear him preach. He tiptoes down a street where multitudes had come and pressed to hear what this new teaching was. And where little sick children and men and women had been brought to his, 
to his presence and where he had healed them. With the memories of yesterday, what a blessing, what a great blessing yesterday was. Uh, in the early morning hours, those streets are quiet and silent. So often, I come back in the auditorium, maybe late on a Sunday night after we've had a wonderful day. And uh, I walk around the empty building and just say, oh, thank God for today. And Jesus walks down the same streets that yesterday have been buzzing with activity. And the shouts and praises and hallelujahs of people who have been saved and people who have been healed. But now it's the early morning hours. He goes to a secret place. And the Bible says he prays. Yesterday was a wonderful day. If it been a, nowadays, uh, if you're a preacher nowadays, it would have been a teeing off on the first tee or putting on the 15th green on Monday morning by daybreak. So sad, isn't it, that most of us spend most of our time on our faces before the victory and so little after the victory. We go to God with a healthman and say, Oh, God, bless me while I preach. Oh, God, give us the power of God. Oh, God, please, don't let me go in alone. And then when it's all over, we go out and get French fries and onion rings with the preachers and gossip about each other. But that's not the way Jesus did. The victory of yesterday is still fresh in his mind. The hallelujahs of yesterday is still ringing in his ears. And the joys of yesterday is still flooding his soul. He goes alone. Maybe he says, Oh, Father, I want to be with you and thank you for the blessings. Now, why did he do it? He has a ministry before him in the early days of his life. He only has one day behind him and, it's, and, and three years before him. He has an entire ministry ahead of him. And what I'm saying is this. Jesus realized that in the early days of his ministry, looking forward to his ministry and looking forward to the work that God had given him to do, he realized he must take time to walk with God. Young people, let me say this. I know you have a lot of youth activities. And I know you've got a lot, of, a lot of busy things. Good night. Life is before you. And you wonder, who, who's she going to be? Or who's she going to be? Or will there be a he? Or, or whatever things you wonder about the future of life. But let me say this. You've got too much to do ahead of you not to spend some time in a secret place alone with God. Meet God in the early morning hours of your life. I met God in the morning when the day was at its best. And His presence came like glory with His sunrise on my breast. All day long His presence lingered. All day long He stayed with me, and we sailed in perfect calmness o'er a very troubled sea. Other ships were torn and battered. Other ships were sore distressed. But the winds that seemed to drive them brought to me a peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mine, when I too had left the blessing of his presence far behind. So I think I've learned the secret from many a troubled way. If you meet God in the morning, you can have him all the day. I'll tell you one thing, folks. You're not going to make it unless you have a place where you meet God. That little place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? In the name of Christ your Savior, did you sue for loving favor as a shield today? Oh, how praying rests the weary. Prayer can change the night today. So when life seems dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. Oh, but you say, preacher, I, I have talent and enthusiasm. It'll be a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal if you don't walk with God. Oh, but you say, preacher, I have a gift of, of public speaking. You'll be as a rattling pan unless you learn to walk with God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He who never sinned, He whose lips never spoke an evil word, He whose feet never trod a wicked path, He whose mind never had an evil thought, He whose hands never took an evil thing, Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, has to spend time alone with the Father before He begins His ministry. 
I was thinking, oh, the blessed early days of my life, my ministry, when as a boy in my young 20s, early 20s, beginning to, to, to preach, oh, I'd get that book by E.M. Bounds and read it and squeeze it and read it. And I'd say, oh, God, help me to be a man of God. Help me to walk with God like, uh, like uh, uh, Adnarm Judson. Help me to walk with God like Carrie. Help me to walk with God like Payson. Help me to walk with God like Fletcher. And all oh, the sweet early places where I met God, there was the third floor of the educational building of the First Baptist, Baptist Church of Marshall, Texas. I didn't go to that church, but it's the tallest building in our neighborhood, and, I, and I'd go up there before the sun would come time and time again, and I'd say, oh, God, meet me here, and the sweet fellowship, and we, he walked with me, and he talked with me, and he told me I was his own, and the joys we shared as we tarried there, none other had ever known. Oh, the early days, the early days, the early days! When you're choosing a wife, when you're choosing a ministry, when you're choosing a vocation, when you're choosing a life, when you're planning a future, in God's name, find a place to walk alone with God. Oh, the sweetness of the little pine thicket in East Texas. I can see it in my mind now. As as a kid preacher, I didn't have any sermons. And I didn't know how to draw up a church budget. And I didn't know how to preach a sermon. And I didn't know anything about the ministry. And I can see that little pine thicket where I'd go alone with God. And where I'd walk at night and say, Oh, God, you've got to help me or I can't make it. You've got to help me or I can't make it. The sweet morning hours and the late night hours as I fellowship with him and walk with him in the early days. I can see that study at the Grange Hall Baptist Church, a little study. Had an auditorium faced this way, and the study was right off the auditorium. I mean, you just walk right from the study into the auditorium. And... Uh, and uh, the other door went outside, and we had uh, we had the rattlesnakes out in the yard, uh, out so out in the country. And remember the ground rattlesnakes? You know what a ground rattler is? And that I'd go to the study some morning and look at the little ground rattlesnake all curled up in the desk there. I never have felt led to stay in the room with the snake. I mean, uh, anything that crawls, I don't like it. A snake, no. A worm, no. I don't even like kids that learn how to walk. I don't like anything that crawls. And uh, I'd go to my study and lizards. I don't like lizards either. I, I think I'd like snakes better. Lizards, like that. And, and I'd go to my study, and I'd, be, I'd open the drawer to get my Bible. A lizard had been reading the Bible all night long. And uh, it'd come out, and uh, I'd chase the lizards out. And then black widow spiders. I guess they were widows, maybe married, I don't know. But uh, black widow spiders. And you say, you can always tell a black widow spider by the uh, little yellow dot on the back. I never took time to look at the dot on the back, brother. I, I showed her my back is what I did. Uh, you always say uh, they're easy, easy to tell a snake that's poisonous. I never stopped to investigate, brother. I never did. And uh, in those early days, I'd get all the spiders out, the spider webs out, and the lizards. And a few times, a little ground rattlesnake would would, would get in the study. And I'd uh, hour after hour after hour. And I recall when those deacons, three of them, would make faces at me while I'd preach. And mm, while I'd preach, sit down here on the front. And I'd say, Lord, I can't go out there today. I can't do it. I can't take it again. I just can't take it. And I'd walk with God. And I'd get up early in the morning. And I'd stay late at night. You know, I feel sorry for folks who don't know God. Oh, you say I'm saved. I'm not talking about that kind of knowing God. I'm talking about knowing God. Oh, you say I'm born again. My name's in heaven. Yes, I know. You know the Lord like that. I'm talking about knowing God. 
And all oh, the sweet early days. And Jesus realizing he had a whole ministry in front of him. Realizing he had a whole life. Uh, uh, three years of service in his life before he goes to the cross. He says, I've got to be alone with God. I've, I've, I'm a man. I'm God. I have limited myself. And I'm a man. I'm God incarnate. But I need to walk with the Father. And I need fellowship with the Father. And the power of the Spirit of God upon my life and ministry. I remember the blessed early years. My father's grave. Where I knelt and prayed for so long. And where I go, whenever I go to Texas, anywhere near, near Dallas again, I rent a car or borrow, borrow a car and go down to Dad's grave. And I kneel on his grave. Dr. Billings the other day was down near there. And he got a car and drove down and prayed for a while on my Dad's grave. Oh, those early years. Those early years. The years oh, oh, when I owned the courthouse square in Marshall, Texas, I knelt and prayed for a job. And the pine thicket where I walked with God and got to know God so much better. And the little study at the Grange Hall Baptist Church and the grave of my dad and all the other places. I'm simply saying, in the early years, in the young years, that's the time to get to know God. Meet Him in the morning time of life when the day is at its best and the rose is just blooming and the flower is just unfolding its petals and the sun is brighter and the eyes are alert and the step is quick and the, and the back is straight and the voice is sure and the mind is quick to think. Meet Him in those early days. But there's a second time when our Lord went alone. And that was as his ministry grew. In Luke 5:16 it says, And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And then Luke 11:1 1, it says, After he fed the 5,000, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Our Lord prayed in the early days out alone, in the dark hours, before the people got up, and after folks went to sleep, in the early years. But that isn't all. As the ministry grew, he felt a need more and more to get along with the Father. And, uh, Brother Fisk, I, I can testify something about that. I can recall in the early years praying and walking with God, and I wondered when, when you'd get prayed up, wouldn't have to do this anymore. But I feel more and more with the passing of the days, I feel a need to be alone with God and get to know God better. Um, ask any mom and dad this. A mother's expecting a baby. And the word comes, you go have a baby. And what isn't long till she wants to eat pickles at 2 o'clock in the morning and watermelon soup for breakfast and... And uh, and uh, a bunch of stupid things. And she gets big and, and fat. And uh, and as Dr. Rice says, she wears hatch and jackets, you know. And and uh, and when she when she sleeps on her stomach, she's like a rocking chair, you know. And when she's on her back, she's like a uh, pyramid in Giza in Egypt. And and uh, nothing is good. And she's out of sorts. And her face turns a strange-looking color. And she said, "Oh God, give me a healthy baby. Oh God, give me a healthy baby." And then the time comes, and the baby is born. And uh, and then she says, Oh, God, take care of help my baby. Help me to rear the baby. Ask any mother and father when you pray the most. When you're expecting? No. No. Or when the baby is just born? No. No. It's when they beget, become teenagers. Oh, you thought you would have to pray so much. But they become teenagers, and they go with some of these boys over here. And looking at these boys, you better pray with your daughters while they're out. And uh, you have some of these boys over here, and you pray. And uh, listen, 
The parents come to my office, brother, dozens, hundreds a year, and they say, Pastor, pray for my teenage daughter, pray for my teenage son. Why? Because Jesus, in the middle years, while his ministry is growing and getting bigger and bigger, he said, as the crowds get bigger, I need to be alone more with God. And as more people are being saved, I need to be alone more with God. And as the responsibilities and burdens become bigger, I need to be alone more and more with God. Somebody asked me one time, said, Brother Hiles, now that you're so busy, you don't have time as much to pray as you used to, do you? Now that I'm so busy, I've got to find more time to pray. Somebody asked, uh, who was it? Uh, John Wesley one time said, how, how, how long do you pray? He said, uh, I pray two to four hours a day. And the person said, man, alive. I'm too busy to pray two hours a day. Mr. Wesley said, I'm too busy not to pray two hours a day. And I find in my middle years, I hope I'm still in my middle years, middle years, they start where I am, wherever I happen to be. That's what middle years are. But as the crowds grow bigger here at First Baptist Church, my, my, my. Oh, I've got to pray so much. Lord, bless the high school. And Lord, bless those kids, the ones in trouble. And bless, bless the, lead us to the right principle. I prayed for months and months. And then the Lord didn't lead us. And we had to choose Pash. And, uh, <clears throat> and so I said, uh, Lord, lead us to the right principle. And God bless the high school. And oh, God, about the college, we've got to have two and a half million dollars by January the 1st, 1976. And it's not coming in like I think it ought to come in. And oh, God, take care of that. And I've got to walk with God and I've got to beg God. Why? Because the multitudinous the duties and the, all the decisions and all the burdens and all the duties and all the activities. Let me tell you something. As the years come and go, the middle-aged folks need to spend time with God. In those years when the children are growing up, you need the wisdom of God so much. In those years when the business is blooming, you need the, uh, the wisdom of God so much. In those middle years when life is changing so much, you need the wisdom of God so much. I recall when I first came to Hammond, I said, Oh, God, send us the people. We had about 700 people. Oh, God, send us the people. Give us the crowds. Help us to reach multitudes. I didn't know what that mean. I didn't know all that mean. He sent to people. Then I had to say, Oh God, send us a chair for everyone. And then I had to say, Oh God, send us a building where we put the chairs. Then I had to say, Oh God, send us money to pay for the building. And on and on you go. Never stop. Dr. John Rice says that one answered prayer obligates you to have many more answered prayers. Dear Lord, give us a college. Give us the Lord burden the Catholics to sell that seminary building to us. Thank you, Lord. Oh my. Now, Lord. Give us the money to pay for the building. Thank you, Lord. Oh, my. Now, Lord, give us the students to, <laughs> to get in the building. Thank you, Lord. Oh, my. Now, Lord, give us, a, give us the patience not to kill all the students. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. He hasn't given me that yet, but, uh, but it's just over and over again. You know, you never get too old. I've got a poem in my study. I love to read it. It's called, Thank God There's Always Somebody Older Than You Are. Thank God there's always somebody older than you are. I was talking this week to, to um, um, what's the oldest Rice girl? Grace Rice. McMullen, Dr. John Rice's oldest daughter. She's in her 50s now. I've known her since she was just in her 20s. And, uh, and uh, I was thinking, and I said, Grace, uh, you have your own children, and you're a pastor's wife. But I said, isn't it wonderful you can come to Dr. Rice? And you can still be a daddy. They're still a daddy. 
She comes home, Daddy! I called, I called one time down Lee Roberts, Duck Lee Robertson's house. He wasn't home. Called the church. He wasn't home. He's gone to Kentucky for a few days. See his mother. I called his mother. And uh, I said, she answered. I said, is uh, Dr. Lee Robertson there? And she said, uh, uh, yes, just a minute. Then she said, Lee! I thought, good night. She shouldn't call him Lee. He'll kill her. He'll... She always said, Dr. Robertson. No, it's always good. There's some place where you can be Lee or Jack. And uh, even though maybe your mother's gone this morning, and maybe there's nobody you can call Daddy on the earth. He's gone to heaven. Thank God there's a place where you can come. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. Oh, I'm thankful I learned as a kid preacher there's a living God who loves me and wants to talk to me. And I'm thankful that I learned that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I'm thankful somebody gave me a little book that taught me there's a God in heaven to whom I can come who cares about my needs, who cares about my burdens, who cares about my problems, who wants to give me what I need Help me and give me strength and power and wisdom. Hallelujah for prayer. Why don't we take advantage of going to God in prayer? Oh, in the middle years of life. And I see it more and more with the passing of the years. He's never too busy. He's never too busy. Sometimes we're busy. We're too busy for each other. Sometimes uh, I'm busy and you can't get me on the phone. I'm talking to somebody and you can't get through. Or I have a conference and you can't get through. One fellow said not long ago, said, I can get through to the president. Pastor, when I get through to you, I said, sure, i got a bigger job than he does. And, uh, I, and I mean that. i got more to do. I'm not, <laughs> and any time I think i got troubles, I just think about him. <laughs> I'd love to I don't to the by the front door to the seminary and then the gate to the water I mean the water gate, I think it was your and uh, but uh, in the middle years. And so our Lord, in the early days of his life, went alone to pray in the in the dark hours. But then as the ministry grew and the crowds got bigger, our Lord kept on going. But now wait a minute. We find in the latter years of his ministry, latter days of his ministry we find in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Brother, Broadway, if I was going to die tomorrow, and I had twelve disciples with me, I think I'd have wanted them all right there all the time. I think I'd have said, Don't leave me, fellas. I'm going to have to go to the cross tomorrow. Don't leave me. Jesus said, if you don't mind, fellas, would you just sit right here? I want to go be alone with the Father. I wonder why. I tell you, I think I know why. He was soon to see him. He was soon to see him. I think he wanted to call home said, Dad, I'll be home tomorrow. <laughs> I've been gone all 33 years. I'll be home tomorrow. How think he wanted to see him. Oh, the sweet fellowship that he'd had when he turned it past. And now he's going to go back home. And the, I think the father said, angels, get the brooms now and sweep the, sweep the house and get it all real pretty. And get the best flowers we have on, in, on the, in the trees. And, and I want you to, to uh, uh, put a big sign, welcome home, son. And Jesus said, Father, restore unto me the joy which I had with thee that before the world was. But there was something else he prayed. And one reason he had to pray alone with God in the last, day, last hours of his life ministry. Why? Because he was leading those whom he loved so dearly. I recall that night when I left Texas. I recall I tried to sleep and couldn't. The last night I was to preach my last sermon the next day. 
And I got in my car and I drove. I drove up and down every street in Garland, Texas. And I stopped in front of house after house. I'd say, oh, God, you got to take care of them now. They're not mine anymore. Stopped by a little house where a little widow was trying to rear two boys. I'd been their daddy. I mean, every time they got the car for a date, I had to approve it. Every time they had a decision to make, they'd come and see Brother Hiles. On Father's Day, they sent me Father's Day cards. I got dozens of them this year from fellows who have no dads who who seek my help, consider me as their dad, sort of. And I'd say, Lord, what are those two boys going to do? I know you've called me to Indiana. I know I've got to go. But, dear Lord, those boys, oh, God, help them to turn out right. That's what Jesus was doing. He's saying, Father, I'm going to see you tomorrow. I'm going to come back home. But he said, Father, this one over here and this one and this one. I recall that last night as I drove around, one of our families, the lady had cancer. And I drove by the house. I drove by hundreds of houses. And I'd say, oh, God, bless this one. And, oh, dear Lord, bless this one. And, Lord, bless that man. Help him to get on fire for God. And I pray you'd help that lady to serve you. And help that little baby girl to have a decent home to grow up in. Dear Lord, I can't be here. And I can recall after I'd been here for several months, 14 and 15 months, I'd dream at night of somebody down there having trouble. I'd hear about somebody having trouble. I'd wake up in the night dreaming, and I'd say, I've got to go. I've got to get to them. I've got to help them. They need me. They need me. And that's what our Lord was doing. And by the way, that's what you senior citizens can do. It may be you only have a few days left. It may be that soon the sun of life will sink. And it may be that you'll be with Jesus soon. But let me tell you what you need to do. You need to have a place where you can get along with God and say, Bless my grandkids. I won't get to see them get married, but oh, may they marry the right boy. I don't know what they're going to be, but, and uh, what vocation, but oh God, may they do your will. What am I saying this morning? I'm saying that whether you're a teenager or whether you're 90 years of age, you need a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. I could not begin to tell you this morning what it will do for you. I could never tell you. Most of you don't know God. Let me say this. I, I, I always feel like I'm a little cocky when I say this. I always feel like I'm boasting. I'm not. But, but it's true. Forgive me for saying it. But I know God. I know Him. I know Him. You say, I, I know you're saved. I don't mean that. I mean, I know God. How did you get to know him? Spending time with him. That's where you get to know anybody. Did you ever, did you ever, did you ever take a trip with somebody you didn't know very well? I, took a, I was down in old southern state one time and had to drive back all night long, and some preacher boys asked if they could drive with me. And we drove all night, and you know how you get tickled? When you, about 2 o'clock in the morning, you're trying to stay awake, and you shake like the wind, and you slap your face, and you get out, and you run around the car, and you do it again, and then you hold your eyes open like that, and those boys got tickled at me because I was, I was doing that. Dr. Jack Hiles, like that, and I got tickled, and they got tickled. We stopped and got, uh, uh, they got some black carrot juice, they call it coffee, I think, and uh, they got, and uh, so, uh, uh, and I got, uh, I don't know what I got, but anyway, it wasn't coffee, by the way, I wanted to. 
I, I think it was liquor. I don't know, whiskey or something. I'm not sure. But it, whatever it was, it, it, it didn't, it, it didn't, didn't make, keep me awake, but maybe it didn't care if I was awake or not. But, uh, anyway, uh, I, I got me a drink of water or something, and we got tickled, and, and laughed, and, you know, we laughed so much, we were so tired, and laughed so much, till our eyes broke down. You know, when you're right here, right now, and you, <laughs> and you begin to cry, and they said, I never would have known it. Dr. Jack Hiles. Only have you ever seen you when you're hitting the pulpit and preaching on hellfire and damnation. Dr. Jack Hiles. And I said, fellows, when you wish somebody, you get to know him. And they said, we feel like you're our father now. I said, you know why? We know each other well. And I said, fellows, that's the way you get to know God, too. You spend time with him. That's one reason why when I pray, I don't say, Oh, the great God of Jeroboam and Rehoboam and Jehoshaphat. I don't have to pray like that. Now, you do. <clears throat> That's why preachers all across America this morning said, There's a great omniscient God. We come into that august presence. No, it's July presence, but august presence this morning, as humble as we know how. Well, you know how they talk like that? They don't know him real well. They don't know him well. If you get to know him real well, you don't have to talk like that. You can say, Father, help me today. Lord, give me strength. One of the joys of my life has been being able to know great men intimately. I knew Dr. I knew Dr. Bob Jones Sr. like like a, in many respects in his latter years like a like a son and a father. I've known Dr. John Rice in that relationship for these many years. I get up in the morning. I was in the other day in, in uh, uh, Pennsylvania. Dr. Rice and I driving back to the room at night with the pastor. Dr. Rice said, well, Tarzan, you broke the pulpit again, didn't you? <laughs> Tarzan, that's me. He says, I, I, because it's Tarzan, because everywhere I go, I bust pulpits and break them down. And I said, uh, you're in a sour mood, aren't you, Dr. Rice? Got up the next morning, went to service, got in the car, and I said, Dr. Rice, you still in a crabby mood this morning? He said, no, I was confessing sin all night. I said, well, take more than all night to confess your sin. He said, it wasn't confessing mine, it's confessing yours. <laughs> now, may I suggest that when you see him, you don't do that. You don't know him like I know him. You haven't given him what I've given him. Or been with him like I've been with him. No, I'd suggest, I don't suggest when you see him, you say, Hello, Dr. Rash, you still in a crappy mood this morning? Probably is, but I wouldn't say that if I were you. Confess your sins all night? No, I wouldn't say that if I were you, I'd say, Good morning, Dr. Rice. It's a joy to be in a great, the presence of a great man of God like you. But after you've been 18 years on the same platform with him, probably a hundred times a year, and after you prayed with him, and prayed with him and felt his heart beat for America and eaten as many meals with him as I have, then you can become rather personal. And that's the way I'd like for you to know God. That's the way I'd like for you to know God. Find your spot, a closet, the back seat of the car, the garage. A little path out in the backyard or front yard or down the woods somewhere. A pine thicket. 
a little study beside an auditorium, the grave of a loved one. Find you a spot. And in the early morning hours or in the late night hours, while others rest and others sleep, you get to know him. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. Do you have a spot like that? And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joys we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Do you have a spot? you know what it is to walk with God in the nighttime? In the nighttime. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. And if you like this, please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group, Jesus Answers Prayer. May God bless your day.